Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition, a week two edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined as always by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can catch us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Tuesday, September 6th. And uh, well, first of all, John, we are 1-0. 1-0. I would also like to retroactively congratulate Michigan State on making the 12-team 2022, 2022 college football playoff field. Yeah, and a couple other ones. And a few more. Why not tack on a couple extras? No, Bill Connolly did the, did the like, he really went back to when it, 2014, and MSU would have made three playoffs. I mean, including, okay. including hang, the, hang the banner. Hang the banner, baby. <laughs> How do you feel about 12 teams? Yeah. So just to bring everybody up to speed, if you if you missed it, um, 12 team playoff announced starting as uh, at least by 2026. I would wager it starts before then, because there's way too much money to be made if it, by it starting earlier. But um, the format of it would be or at least what I had heard was the sixth highest rated conference champions and then six at large bids. I honestly don't think I could have come up with a better solution. And seeing as this was as this was our idea, you know, I kind of did come up with it. But um, I think it's genius. You know, to to me, this it a it gives us more football, which is just a good thing, regardless of of how you get it. Um, but the by giving the six highest conference champions auto bids. And then taking six more, um, you know, at large bids, it really, I think, should alleviate a lot of the fears that people have about the SEC and the Big Ten power to, uh, you know, completely revolutionizing and changing the sport. Because while you'll still get probably at least three teams in from each one of those conferences, the door is now as open as ever. For every other conference to, you know, those little guys, the Coastal Carolinas, the App States of the world, you know, who never had a chance since the BCS, to the door is wide open for them to to make it. And also ACC, Pac-12, Big 12, you are no longer like that gives them such a, a huge bullet in the chamber in terms of t- telling people they should really be sticking around. So um, I think it's a, a pretty significant win you know, kind of across the board. I, I think it's a phenomenal solution, which I kind of can't believe I'm saying is, you know, something we're talking about with college football. I'm pumped, dude. 
I, I don't know how anyone couldn't be excited because agreed. And, and I've seen a lot of people, and I'm, I'm just going to try and convince you why this is fun. We're, you know, you get parity, like you said. Do we actually think that a, a group of five team could could have a Cinderella, Cinderella run? It's a lot harder in football than basketball. And again, you do see maybe you win one game. Like imagine Coastal Carolina winning a game on the road at Notre Dame. How right. nuts would the country go for that? I mean, oh it would God. be amazing. You know, I saw a lot of people using a couple of the games this weekend as a reason why a 12-team playoff would stink. It's like, okay, but guess how many people just watched that Oregon-Georgia game? Like, we still <laughs> watch. Come on. Like, it's all fun. And then if you're really mad and you think that there are too many games, okay, let's cut the FCS game off everyone's schedule. You know, it's, it's yeah. look, look, there's a solution for this. This is fun. You know, more football, you know, is, is generally better. And I thought the fans would think, but hey. Well, uh, I mean, the counter, you know, it, it's funny because people are like, oh, you're getting rid of the bowl games. It's like, have you seen the last like mm-hmm. six teams that get into these bowl games? Like, you really don't want to replace that with something that actually like matters a little bit. Uh, hey. And then even on top of that, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the, the top four teams in this 12 team playoff would get a bye. Right. And what that means is you get automatically awesome, like five through 12 matchups. And in all likelihood, because it's the conference champions, you know, your top four seeds in all likelihood are those conference champions. You're probably like a lot of people get upset that it's like, oh, it's the same two teams in the championship every year. You're in all likelihood eliminating that, or at least not that those teams wouldn't play each other in the playoff. But like, I think I saw the latest one that Bill Connolly did from last year, and it would have been Georgia as the five seed. And uh, Alabama as the one because of you give like the top four all to, you know, the four highest rated, I think it would be conference champions. I might be butchering that, but either way, like you're not getting the rematch in the championship game. You're getting it earlier on, which again, I really, I'm genuinely impressed by the problem solving here. And by address, you've addressed in my estimation, just about every concern that people had. Yeah. The, the, the argument that, you know, the regular season becomes, you know, less important. I, I would disagree. You win that conference championship and you get a buy. Absolutely. Like, there, there is an absolute advantage. To, there, there is a purpose to winning in every game in the regular season. You know, so I, I see that as a solve. People wanted, wanted, uh, you know, the SEC to have to come north, you know, for a playoff game. Here we are. Here's the yep. chance, right? And people wanted a group of five to actually have a real, you know, opportunity. Just, you know, real or not, now they at least can lose on the field. Instead of, you know, instead of uh, wondering, right? And, and when you get one every year now, you're gonna get a group one of five bid. team is getting a group of five team is getting one bid, no matter what. It's and just we're gonna go which, nuts for as a nation. It's gonna be awesome for that team. You're gonna, you're almost gonna not want to play them because you're gonna be, you know, the team that's playing St. Peter's the whole like in basketball. And the yeah. whole is against you, man. Like so, I don't know. I just, I think it'll be fun. This is a you can be mad if you want. I just choose to look, you know, glass half full. So, I mean, I don't know how you can get mad about more football and like a cool new way to to look at it. I think a really interesting unintended consequence of this could be I actually think this emboldens Notre Dame to stay independent, which because if they can make it as an at large bid, right, they're going to be one of the six teams that gets in more often than not. 
like why make things harder for yourself? So I think that's a potential, like really interesting unintended potentially consequence of this is that Notre Dame remains independent and like, yeah, they wouldn't be able to get one of those six bids necessarily, but you've still got six opportunities to, you just have to be one of the best next six. So you gotta be somewhere on the bottom part of the top 10 and business is business. They're gonna get in. A, they're t- talented enough to be in there. I think we saw that this weekend. They're they're talented enough to hang with just about anybody, and you know they'll probably stay in a similar caliber for the foreseeable future. And then you've got the brand part of it. Like you yeah. know, like you I, said, what if <laughs> Coastal Carolina coming to South Bend? Like, are you kidding me? You think people wouldn't want to see that? Like, yeah. So so I think this, if anything, should make uh, like you're still gonna see you know the t- same there will probably be four or five teams that are in it the majority of years, but that's not different than now. It's just giving more teams the opportunity to like have those matchups. Take down those guys that you don't want to see in the final four. Right. Hey, one quick thing about Notre Dame, because I think it's, it's, it was overlooked when this was announced, as you already mentioned, the top four seeds will go to conference champions. I think that's almost assured meaning Uh guys. Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame athletic director, was a part of the committee that put this site this forward. So he, you know, is has a vested interest in his university. And I think the arrogance of Notre Dame uh, was put on full display. And, and here's what I mean by that. I, I think he assumed that, like you said, they would be able to make the, the playoff most years. He's probably right. And mm-hmm. assumed more so than that was that they could finish in the top uh, eight, which would mean that they would, if you're five through eight, you would host the home game and they wouldn't have a conference championship to play in. So they're in great shape. Here's what he forgets in his arrogance. Every year there's a new playoff committee and they get decide to decide how it's seeded. And there's nothing that says that they would have to seed Notre Dame five through eight. And they could very much punish them for not being in a conference. So if they don't go undefeated, there's no reason to put them five through eight, because you could argue, hand on heart, that their schedule uh, was not tough enough, and they weren't didn't have to go through a conference play, and so that you know 11 and one record should not be a top eight team. So now Notre Dame and Jack have committed to a playoff in which they cannot get a bye. It's not possible if they're not in a conference. And more than likely, there are a lot of more people that don't like Notre Dame more than like them and might want to punish them uh, for being independent and arrogant and all the other words. So he may have backed them into road games and the playoff every year. You know, who knows? But that's how I read it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, I I think it's uh, a really uh, insightful reading of the situation. Like, I could definitely see that being an unattended unintended consequence here i yeah i I think the way that this impacts realignment could could honestly be really interesting you know because teams like the pac-12 now can say or conferences like the pac-12 can say well we still get a bid you know maybe that's enough to keep oregon around maybe that's enough to keep washington around if the big 10 comes calling and then if that starts to happen does the big 10 continue to try to expand to 20 or do you keep it at 60 you know it just it gets it unravels very quickly and um, I thought the, the the timing of the announcement was was interesting as well um, during the opening week 
I mean, it's a great thing for college, just to put a bow on it so we can move forward. Great thing for college football, in my estimation. And I would be very surprised, very surprised if this does not start by 2024. Yeah. And the Big Ten. You know, I, I would yeah, deem, yeah. I would deem the season for the conference a failure if they don't get three teams in of the. No, I would agree. I would agree. Every year, no. three to four, you know, uh, Big Ten teams, depending on how it plays out. So. That's exciting if you're a Michigan State fan, which if you're listening to this, I imagine you are. Another thing that might excite you is that Michigan State just landed their 14th recruit of the cycle, Colton Hood, a three-star, six-foot, 170-pound cornerback. Colton is a guy that has been on Michigan State's radar for a while, really high up on uh, Michigan State's recruiting board, I think up to even third highest. Uh, reeled him in, got a handful of offers from big time schools um and one one quick note i want to put on colton i noticed mel tucker uh you know did want this kid absolutely but he has a tendency to offer guys uh that that may be teammates with with uh bigger recruits uh, on the team and that is the case here uh for colton dj chester uh, the number 118th ranked player in the entire uh, 2023 class is a four-star tackle if that does anything for you, um, <laughs> does this get Mel closer to landing him? I, I don't know. I, I'd imagine that might be part of the process, though. But what do you think? Let's talk about Colton before we talk about anybody else. I mean, there's for those who follow recruiting closely, you know, there's uh, kind of like the buzz phrase of Georgia three star and how a three star from Georgia is different than a three star from Michigan is different than a three star from Texas, et cetera, et cetera this is a Georgia three-star. I mean, you can't be mad about that. Uh, again, a guy with legitimate size playing a premium position in corner. Uh, and you have to remember now that Mel Tucker is coaching the defensive backs. So if he is putting an offer out to a defensive back, you, you got to expect that, that it's something, somebody that they feel very strongly about. So yeah, you see him somewhere in like the mid three-star range, but again, this is, kid from uh you can read a, a little bit differently because he's from a great talent rich pipeline that michigan state's done an awesome job of tapping into um and he plays a position that uh, you know mal tucker takes a very vested interest in um the dj chester angle i think is interesting because msu does have a few spots left in their class um and while they have gosh i think it's four or five offensive line recruits already you know i think they would be um probably the first to admit that if another guy comes calling that plays that position and is a premium, you give them that extra roster spot um, over maybe a separate uh, position right now, because we've seen it, uh, you know, and honestly, as we talk about the first game here, we saw the reason why they've concentrated on the trenches on both sides, because that's where, you know, games are ultimately won and lost. So yeah, would love to see DJ Chester become a Spartan. And just, just you know, you mentioned the offers for Hood before we move to actually talking about the game. When you say a couple of offers, this is, yeah, a couple of pretty good ones. I'm just going to go top to bottom, probably out, mostly alphabetical here. Arkansas, Auburn, Clemson, uh, Florida. Uh, let's see what else we got here. LSU, Mississippi State, North Carolina, Ole Miss, Penn State, South Carolina, Um and you know what? I'll throw Vandy in there because they're technically in the SEC as well. Uh, but th these are all the heavy hitters. These are the regional powers. These are the nearer to your home schools. Um, 
MSU's bet, it just it, it goes to show. MSU's out there punching with the big boys. And uh, we'll see where it goes from here. But um, you always love landing a good player right after the first week of, of the season. I think timing is a part of it, too. I think that wasn't by mistake. You know, could they have just finally convinced him? Maybe. I, I don't know the inner workings. But, man, there's just something about momentum, right? You, you get a win. Uh, then you, you add this on in the middle of the week. Uh, it just you're, it helps build, you know, for the program. It's a nice. It was a nice timing, even if it was by uh, serendipitously done. So that takes us to the actual game. 15 minutes in Austin, which tells <laughs> this game wasn't. Um, I don't know. Uh, headline worthy for us. I think that's the takeaway. You know, a, a ho hum 35 to 13 win over Western Michigan. As always, we go through the good, the bad, and the weird. And I think there was a lot of all of it, to be honest. I, I, before I, I hand it over to you and talk me through what you saw, I, I was just, I knew we were back with college football was back when my Twitter timeline was, if you weren't following the game, you may not have known that Michigan State covered. And, <laughs> and not only didn't they cover, they... Uh, held one of the most explosive offenses from last year. Now, granted, they are replacing a lot, but uh, and then one of the most successful Mid-American Conference coaches to 13 points. And I felt it felt a lot like the Maryland game last year, where there were just we were, everyone was very mad. And I just would like to, and, and when the end of the day they had held Maryland to fewer yards and points than they averaged after playing, you know, Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan. And this one just kind of felt like the same type of vibe. And in that this fan base, bless us, we we're ready to take the next step, goddammit. And you would <laughs> and, and, and this and this wasn't good enough. And you know what? Uh, I I'll concede that's probably fair. This wasn't good enough. Um but but I'll hand it to you, Austin. There was some good in there too. There was a lot of good. I, I think it's very interesting because if we, I know that expectations are meant to change and when they change and they become higher, it's a good thing because it means there's reason for that. The reason being success. If this game was played the first week of last year, you know how many backflips we'd all be doing? Like if this was the Northwestern game last year, if this took place in 2021, we'd be losing our minds. That's how good this performance was. But, I mean, no. Should you put it down the history books? Absolutely not. A lot of forgettable moments. But there was an absolute ton of good stuff here. Uh, I thought in particular, I mean, obviously, Bryce Berenger is legitimately one of the best punters in the country and had just a, uh, started off with a massive one early in the first quarter, which was so, so, so much fun. Um, the brand is so strong with us. A, a 35-13 win, and we we start with a Behringer punt. Like, no, I, it, I, I, you're the best, man. But it, it felt so good. It just felt so good. But So we'll start with special teams. But then you talk about the offense. Like, was it the most beautiful game? No. But what you saw was, especially from the passing perspective, like you had four receiving touchdowns. You know who didn't score any of those? Jaden Reed. You yeah. did all the guys you wanted to see step up. Keon Coleman had a four-catch, four 84-yard four touchdown day and looked legitimately 
extremely imposing. Like I, he's going to be a problem. Um, Trey Mosley, uh, Mr. Underrated had a kind of the, the nail in the coffin touchdown at the end uh, of the game. Jeremy Bernard, absolutely it's first and only collegiate catch 44 yard touchdown where he showed legit speed. Those are all like, by the way, all those receivers had over 40 yard catches in this game. Uh, and then you also had a beautiful one handed grab by the tight end, Daniel Barker in the back of the end zone. Like end. these are a tight end. I couldn't believe it myself. Um, it was beautiful. And so from a receiving point of view, you showed that you are not a one trick pony and you did all of that despite your quarterback really not having a great day, completing 50% of his passes. You could tell he's pushing it down the field quite a bit, 12 completions for 233 yards. I mean, this is a big play offense, but that's not to say that it wasn't supplemented by a ground attack. This team ran for almost 200 yards on the ground. Jalen Berger had 120 yards, including a 50 yard one that he ripped off. I was really actually, I mean, Berger is going to get all the attention deservedly. So he looks like a, like a legitimate workhorse back in the big 10. Jarek Broussard yeah. is going to make some big time plays for this team this year. His ability to get from zero to 60 in a really small space was something that I didn't, I didn't realize he had in his bag, which I probably should have, but you know, who wants to watch Colorado football? Um, so he, I just think he's going to make some really interesting plays. So, you know, you, you see a team run the ball 32 times for 197 yards. It's good for six a carry. And then, you look at the other side and everybody's freaking out like, oh, man, they're moving the ball. They're keeping the ball, which to Western Michigan credit, to Western Michigan's credit, they had the ball for, I think, two thirds of this game, a ton, a ton of time. But they still, you know, complete. They were Jack Salopic made a couple nice plays, but went 21 of 36 for 193. That's five yards of completion. It's half as much as Thorne was throwing for. They, they ran the ball. 37 times, so five more times than Michigan State, and ran for 141 yards, ran for 56 fewer yards. That's 3.8 yards a carry and only had one touchdown. And by the way, that's with a 45-yarder from Sean Taylor built in there and a 61-yard scramble from Jack Salopic built in there. So Michigan State's run defense showed up time and time and time again in this game. And in the passing game, their longest completion was 22 yards. I mean, it was it was a... I, I think when you really unpack this game, it was super, super impressive. I do want to talk about the defense, and John, I'm going to let you do that. Before I go there, though, I look at this game and boil it all down to one thing. Peyton Thorne has to be so much better than he played in this game. We are two or three completions from him and one mind-blowingly bad decision at the end of the first half to try to be Patrick Mahomes for whatever reason. We're, we're like I said, I caught three to five plays that he makes consistently last year away from this being a 40-point win. And I don't even think that's really like no. stretching it at all. This is So when everybody's freaking out, which, okay, expectations should be high, go look at this box score and go rewatch that game. And tell me that Peyton Thorne is going to be dumb enough to make those decisions and and sail those balls all year. I just don't buy it. So get the rust out now because I think that this offense has the chance to once again be very potent. Again, not that Western Michigan is, you know, the gold standard, but, you, you know, how many years ago was it that we – 
I would be cursing myself right now from a few years ago, being upset with a 35 point win in a quarterback who <laughs> a 35 points scored in a win in a quarterback who threw four touchdowns. So like, I think it's important to, to remember that as well. It's true. You know, we talked about, I think last week on the preview, this team ceiling is as high as Peyton Thorne will take it. The, yep. athletes are, the athletes are there. You listed them off. The athletes are there. And I think that was the biggest change I saw from this year to last year. Candidly, in a long, ever, ever watching Michigan State, truly. I've never seen so many athletes on the field. Yeah. It, it Very was, impressive. It's noticeable. It's noticeable. And, and you mentioned there are three plays on offense and probably three plays on defense away from a very different story. Hey, what credit to Western, right? They're one of the most consistent Mac programs. So I think it was a great first test. Those three uh, plays on offense you mentioned, I'll talk about the three on defense. Uh, the two runs you already discussed. And then the third was uh, the touchdown throw that got pulled back because their offensive linemen decided to run to the goal line. Mm. Uh, that would have made a, a potentially a, you know, a three-point game. I can't remember. Would have been um, would been a little tighter. But at the end of the day, you know, as we've talked about so much, the Jimmys and Joes, man, like there's a separation there. And you clean up those those three plays on offense, you know, those three completions that we just discussed, and it's just a completely different ball game. And Western has some guys like Sean Tyler um, and Corey Coombs. I I I think that they might be like they could play in the Big Ten. One. Um, and, and Western has put some guys in the NFL. So enough crediting to them. I, we all know that there's work to do on Michigan State's end. The defense, though, um, I saw just a lot more complaining from them, or excuse me, from from the timeline about them. But then you crunch the stats, and you're like, they they they, they played really re- they really well. They're Jacoby Winman, four sacks. The team has seven. Man. But Winman was playing middle linebacker the first two seasons of his entire life you know, in college, UNLV, he comes to Michigan State and, and does basically moved there because he's just such a freak athlete. And you saw him do stuff. I, I hope if you subscribe to The Athletic or, or you're able to watch some of these breakdowns on what he's able to do, he's beating double teams. Like, and my, what really excites me about that is that he's not the prototypical D-end, NFL D-end. And, you know, he's too short and, and he's he probably um, immeasurably not quite there. It's nothing to take away from him. I just think about guys like that could be coming in or, or that we'd be ideal ends. And with Brandon Jor- Jordan, it's just like the effect was was felt like you could see there. He had already made an impact. And, and that's just really encouraging. Unfortunately, I, I, Oh, go ahead. Please jump in. I was just going to say, like, if you look at Windman stands out. I mean, this is a guy MSU identified in the portal. They thought about a creative way to use him. And the impact is immediate. I mean, four sacks in a game is nothing to sneeze at. And it's not like none of them were cheapies either. I mean, he got home and was the one creating the pressure on, on all of them. But it wasn't just him. I mean, like you said, they had seven sacks on the game. Aaron Brule had a sack. Chris Bogle had a sack. Even Chester Kimbrough had a sack. I mean, those, again, three guys that came in in the transfer portal in the last two offseasons. Then 11 different players had at least a half a tackle for loss. Uh, again, this is not a defense that slowed down. It's not a defense that let themselves get wear, worn out, uh, despite Western having the ball for such a sustained period of time. And 
I got to give one shout out to a guy that I don't think anybody saw this coming. Anybody. Ben Van Sumeren. Wow. Uh, I mean, wow. Like he was maybe the guy aside from Winman that just jumped off the screen at me. I mean, he, we always knew he was an athlete. He played a little bit on both sides of the ball, but like, I remember last year watching him play linebacker and thinking this guy cannot play this position because he looked so slow and just like his feet were in cement on Friday night. He was flying. He was around every single ball, ended up with 11 tackles, one tackle for loss and was just everywhere. Um, If he's going to play like that, that's a, that's a whole nother type of weapon that I don't think anybody realistically could have, uh, you know, counted on having. So just huge amounts of credit to um, Vance Merritt on the way that, you know, listen, this guy entered the portal this off season. He was ready to call it quits because of all these other dudes that came in. Turns out the MSU is kind of using all of them in this little chess piece. I mean, we're just seeing the beginnings of it, but man, that it was, it was fun watching that front seven uh, on Friday. In Austin, we needed it because I'm very unfortunately another linebacker, a fan favorite, Darius Snow, will be out for the season. It, it's terrible. It's, you know, as I mentioned, this this is a guy that that changed positions. We've talked about uh, just all around. Seems to be a great kid, and everyone really likes him. Legacy, T- just terrible news. Last thing we wanted to have happen, and. And you mentioned already there are guys that came in and stepped up right away. Linebacker is one of the deepest, deepest uh, position groups. It's really unfortunate it's had we have to, you know, leverage that. Um, but you saw a Ben Van Simmeren, and then I wonder if you'll also start to see a bit more Maha Geotiote. Did I get that right? I, I think you're in the neighborhood. That's yeah, all that, we can ask for. Goal, and that's always the goal for me. So I think, you know, you're going to see a lot more talent you know, that is able to come in and not a big drop off. And that's something that maybe couldn't be relied on in years past. Another guy that got hurt, Xavier Henderson will be out for a to be determined amount of time. And Austin, we talked about guys that you, you didn't want to see go down as far as uh, depth. MSU is going to be tested right away, you know, as far as secondary goes. And we saw, uh, I think it was Kendall Brooks and, and, uh, or was it Justin White and, and, uh, Mangum came, the freshman, jumped yep. right in, jumped right in, and, and Buddy, um, I think we always thought Mangum could be a guy that can contribute to this team. It might have to be this year. Yeah, it, it, so it was Brooks that came in, Thanks. and then he, he got knocked up, or I think he got knocked up, he got, he got knocked out of the game, and then... Um, so he, he, he got hurt, and then Jaden Mangum came in for him. Two quick things. Uh, Brooks can hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he put a couple of big hits on. And I remember he did that last year. I think he had a sack of Cade McNamara. Maybe that was Justin White. I don't remember. But Kendall Brooks can can hit big time. So that will be interesting. He is like, you know, former D2 transfer. Not the same. He's not bringing what Xavier Henderson does. Uh, Mangum looks the part. Uh, I mean, he, I was, when he was out there, I was like, oh, man, that looks like a real next level type of like dude who's going to fit. Um, but he's a true freshman and true freshman back there at safety is uh, that's that's <laughs> that's a big ask. So, uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how that, you know, I, I hope for X's sake that he's able to come back at some point during this year, hopefully sooner rather than later. And, you know, reclaim that spot because 
while Mangum actually is probably a better athlete, um, you can't replace three years of starter knowledge uh, on, on defense. So um, you hate to see that snow. You just feel terrible for him because there was so much talk about him in the off season. And uh, you know, it's just such a shame because he was another chess piece that MSU could have used. So um, it, it's a shame to see him go. So yeah, like you said, hopefully BVS is ready to go. Ma'a. Um, and this is where talent stacking these classes comes to light. This is all the recruiting stuff we talked about forever. This is why it matters because this happens at every position, just about every position group across every team. Someone's getting, getting hurt at some point during the season. Now it's unfortunate that it happens at all, but especially that it happens early in the season. But, um, you know, there is, there is, uh, something to be said for if it's going to happen, it's almost better that it does happen early in the season because now Mangum at least has, you know, uh, a bit more time to to go up that runway as opposed to, you know, if this happens week eight, yeah. you know, you're just jumping right in the fire. So uh, there, there's pros and cons to the whole thing. On top of all of it, though, you just hate to see guys get hurt. But, yeah, MSU's te- depth back there is going to get tested, you know, right away. Austin, can I uh, – I'm going to throw a wild thought on, on the recording. Mangum might be Henderson, but better in 2025 when Michigan State is rounding into what we hope to be uh, a, a team that that can contend. Is is that a crazy thing to say? No, I mean that's always been the the at least our goal is stated goal is to say by 2025 MSU should be in the conversation wholeheartedly. Um, and it is kind of crazy to think now, like, hey, these guys that are freshmen this year are going to be playing roles on those teams. They're the pillars. And absolutely. You, abs- you absolutely wanted Xavier Henderson to, to be mentoring and playing most of the snaps this year. Does this better prepare a guy like Megan? You, it's, it's, it's hard not to, it's hard for us, to be completely honest with everyone, to not look down the line. We, we get caught looking ahead a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but because we just the future is pretty bright um so forgive us for that you know but uh, i think as we talk about drop-offs you know there's going to be some freshman mistakes you know when he does see his role but i think he's so athletic that and um it's it's a lot better than it could have been let's let's keep moving here um there's a field goal miss i hate to say it but we got to figure something out at kicker here and we got about a game to do it yeah, I mean, that just felt like the most inevitable miss ever uh, yeah. when he came up to kick. I was like, there's just no chance this guy's making this. So um, hopefully the jitters are gone. Mm-hmm. He should he made Dallas extra points, should get a chance to, you know, hopefully kick a couple more against uh, Akron. But um, yeah, that's this is this is the danger. This is probably why you bring in Ben Patton. But now you're almost in a weird spot where it's like, yeah. okay, we brought him in. Do we use him and like basically burn our young kicker's confidence? To be quite honest with you, I was surprised that they didn't let Patton go take the first one. I was a little surprised that he wasn't the choice. It's tough to. I mean, we don't know what's going on, but who knows? That Ben Patton may have still been moving in and didn't know where. <laughs> was, you know so who knows, right? Um, yeah, true. One other quick note. You know, we'll monitor that, but. We saw at the tackle position, Horst uh, did not play until the second half. I, you and I dug in a little bit and learned that Horst was not a pitch count of sorts. And 
I'd be surprised if he played more than he did today in the Acker game, if not less, as as he was a hurt, as we heard, and um, was just kind of easing back into things. So Ball, uh, Brandon Baldwin started. Um, I don't think he uh, embarrassed himself by any stretch, uh, but I don't know if as the season progresses, if Baldwin will be the starter if Horace is fully healthy. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting because you have no idea. But first of all, I agree with the idea of keeping Horst on a pitch count. I agree with the idea of keeping him out until these games are something where you think you're going to really need that elite level or very good level left tackle. Um, and also you want to get these other guys, uh, you know, some touches. You want to get them the opportunity to get out there. I was once again, I wasn't unimpressed by the offensive line. Like, listen, I know it's Western Michigan, but I got they ran for 200 yards. They ran for six yards a carry. And none of these were, it's not like Peyton, Peyton Thorne didn't have a 61 yard scramble, you know, um, yeah. quickly. But the, the very last thing I'm going to say about this game before I just kind of give like a parting thought. I don't know what, like, but what's going on in the world that we think giving the ball to our tight end on a tight end sweep at Michigan State in the year of our Lord 2022 uh, like, why? Why are we doing this? It hurt me to see it happen. I couldn't believe that it was happening to me again. I felt personally attacked when I saw that happen. I like didn't, I like took me a second to be like, who's nine? Oh my God, that's Daniel Barker. Oh my God, he just got another carry. What uh, is happening in the world? So I just wanted you to know that I had like a borderline side. Like everyone else is freaking out about like, oh, what's the score? Yada, yada, yada. I almost had a full like cardiac arrest when Daniel Barker carried the ball twice in like span of five plays. And, you know, I think it says a lot when Austin Smith, the king of tight end love, is <laughs> upset with any type of play called for a tight end. It was completely unnecessary, as you said. Like, I, I just felt like we, like, really caught, like, Jay Johnson really just, like, yeah, huge ricochet shot. Just just straight at me for no good reason. So, so one last thing. Um, we saw our old uh, Spartan friend, Ladarius uh, Jefferson, was RB2 for Western Michigan, and he had a nice game, and we wish the best to him. I, I just think it was a really good measuring stick because he used to be RB2 for and now he's RB2 for Western Michigan. And I don't mean that I hope that doesn't come off negatively because that's not my purpose. My 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 goal here is to share that the level of talent East Lansing is is higher than it's been in a while. And I think that's you know once Mel and Jay Johnson and Scotty Hazelton start to get comfortable with the level of talent that they have and they start gelling and playing together, there's just so much room to grow. That was what was exciting for me, watching them have a very, um, you know, C-rated football game, in which, again, they covered and held the team to 13. I, I would give that game a rock solid B. Are you, okay, a B. I, was, I gave Well, a- no, 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 C. No, I think C is right. I think C is right. C is right for these expectations. But, yeah. like... C plus because yeah there we go we'll meet in the middle um a rock solid seventy nine it was fine it was good uh, it, you know it you see things you can improve on you see things you get excited about all in all we got football back and man does it feel good.
Austin, should we take a commercial break? We should. And then we'll hit the national results, the Big Ten, and preview Akron. Boom. Ready. Three, two, one. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Now we're back. Woo! Awesome. Uh, chaotic football also back, John. <laughs> One of the better weekends of, of goofiness. So we talked about a bunch of national games. Uh, we'll, we'll give you the results and talk to you through a few more. Uh, started out with Central Michigan at Oklahoma State, a place where the Chippewas had uh, upset the Cowboys earlier. Oklahoma State wins 58-44. to Spencer Sanders uh, and Lou Nichols, the second. They're the real deal. Uh, Spencer Sanders, the quarterback for Oklahoma State. Uh, Lou Nichols, the running back for CMU. I will say that Oklahoma State's defense really left a lot to be desired coming off of last year's team. We'll talk about their defensive coordinator who left and went to Ohio State and the improvement we saw. Maybe it's all him. 44 points in Stillwater, Austin. It's a lot of points. Um, Oklahoma State was my sleeper playoff team. Lots of like, a lot to take away, but lots of work on. What do you think? If they're going to score 58 every game, I think they'll. You you might have a puncher's chance, but uh, giving up 44 to a MAC team can't do it. It not good, not good at home under that pitch black sky. Not what you want. So Oklahoma State remains kind of exactly what I thought they were. Did you watch the backyard brawl with uh, West Virginia at Pitt? I did, and it was man, it was just absolute chaos, and I loved it. It was so good. They were so, bu- you know, what is the uh, phrase we're going to be using a lot this year, I think, is it's a mid-off. Both teams oh. are mid but it was very entertaining. Um, Pat Narduzzi, remember, wanted to run the ball more. Um, they averaged 1.9 yards per carry, and their quarterback, Slovis, threw for over 300 yards. Unreal. I My only thing, my only real thing to add to this, I don't know how JT Daniels was ever like this wonder kid. Yeah, right? Like, uh, he's fine, Yeah, but he's short. <laughs> he doesn't have a huge arm, and it's not his fault that they lost this game. Pitt, I mean, it, what an exciting way to end it. I don't know, for those who didn't see it, Pitt scored to, I think it was, tie the game with, like, a minute and a half left. West Virginia gets the ball. Daniels throws a little hitch route to his wide receiver, Bryce Ford Wheaton, who'd been making plays the entire game. He goes to turn before he catches the ball, goes right through his hand, pit DB, pick six. Um, I don't think anybody really deserved to win this game. So, yeah, mid-off is like the most perfect way to describe it. Four years ago, Virginia Tech uh, went to Old Dominion and lost. They decided to do it again and three more times, or maybe even four by 2031. They lost again, uh, 20 to 17 my takeaway in this game was, man, Virginia Tech has fallen off. They used to be maybe like a second-tier, you know, national championship-level team. Old Dominion's uniforms were so fly, though, so they had no chance of losing. 
Yeah, that's really tough. I mean, going on the road to a non power five and going on the road to take on like a non power five team that's actually competent in the first game of the year is, and you're, if you're not like elite is just asking for trouble and just don't do it. It's silly. Uh, And Virginia tech tough start to the Brent Pry era. Um, Yeah. Boy, they have, they have fallen from grace and unless Michael Vick's got a kid coming up soon, I I don't know what's pulling him out of it. That's ODU twice in how many years? Uh, NC State decided to go to Eastern Carolina. Speaking of bad decisions, um, this was a wild one. NC State wins 21 to 20, but only because Eastern Carolina missed their extra point to tie the game at the end of the fourth quarter. I don't know. That was a very NC State thing of Eastern Carolina to do, in my opinion. I would like to personally apologize to everybody who listened to me say good things about NC State. I have never been, no, let's not say never. I, I will, I will hand up. I was so wrong. This team had the ball within the two yard line against Eastern Carolina two times, didn't score either time. Like if you can't do that, credit to Eastern Carolina. Like, again, this is of those like group of five teams. They're consistently a pretty deep, pretty good, fun school. A little bit. Yeah, I'll buy that. Absolutely. Directional school in the Carolinas that's, you know, kind of frisky most often, most, you know, more often than not, awesome uniforms. Um, yeah, I, NC State, if, if you're not going to be able to big boy Eastern Carolina, you just you don't have any business competing for anything of significance. And I was so disappointed in Devin Leary. Devin Leary looked terrible. Um, like you want to complain about Peyton Thorne, Devin Leary was significantly worse. So, um, yeah, NC State, despite winning this game, heartbreak for ECU, uh, fraudulent all the way. And I don't think we have it on our list to talk about, but really quickly, insane to see more or less the same thing happen to LSU, uh, mm-hmm. on Sunday night. There was, uh, Florida State, LSU went down and what, like they got the ball in their own one yard line drove uh, after recovering a fumble from Florida state on their own one drove 99 yards scored with no time left on an untimed down and then got their extra point blocked by Florida state's Jared burst, by the way, a guy at Michigan state was trying to recruit from the university of Albany, but it it was kind of crazy to me to see this extra point decide two game, two huge games over the weekend. Incredible, right? That rarely college kickers. What do you mean? They, they had a bad day. It's shocking. I don't buy it. Um, Oregon travels to Atlanta to, in a neutral state game against Georgia. No championship hangover for Kirby Smart's team. In the press conference, he was kind to his former assistant coach, Dan Lanning, by saying simply that he had better players. And <laughs> that was the most damning thing. Boy. He's right. But it's just like, for some reason, like hearing a head coach say it, just like, it just made me laugh. Like, like, what do you want me to say? We went by 46. We got better players. It's like, yep, yeah, that's about right. That's about right to say. And like, you're just alphaing them so hard. Like, that's the that's the most alpha thing that you could say. And like, I, it's not Oregon's fault. Oregon's gonna be good. They I think they're gonna be they're gonna be above average. But yeah, I, I have to say one thing about each side here. The quarterbacks on each side. Oregon, 
you knew this was coming when you signed up with the for the Bo Nix experience. This was inevitable. Two of the worst interceptions I've ever. Well, actually, no. One of the interceptions by Georgia's Malachi Starks, true freshman, was maybe the interception of the year. Un- incredible. Um, when you watch it, that's what a five star looks like. Yep. The kid who made that interception, that's what a five star looks like. Um, and then his other one was maybe the worst, just uh, just staring down his receiver and the safety might as well have been standing directly in front of him. Just Bonix at Oregon will go as far or as not far as he'll take them. I don't know that that's a good element for Oregon. On the other side, Stet- should Stetson Bennett be like a Heisman candidate? Yeah. Like seriously, yes. all he does, I it's incredible. 25 and 31 for 368 yards and two touchdowns. Yes. I know he's standing behind a great offensive line. He's got incredible receivers, but you don't run into a, a you know, 368 yard game completing all but six of your passes against the number 11 team in the country, which is a very talented team. You, you, that doesn't just happen. Like this kid, I think, despite the fact that I know he got all the credit in the world after last year, he deserves more because he is like a legitimate quarterback. It's crazy. If you just look at the yards per attempt, that that's important. Almost 12 yards per attempt. I mean, this guy has athletes that make stuff happen, but he also has to get it to him. And mm-hmm. credit to him, you know, he beat out guys that are playing and starting at other places. So, um, He's got the natty. No reason to think Georgia can't compete again after what we just saw. Um, Agreed. Let's take it to Fayetteville, where Arkansas beat Cincinnati 31 to 24. Only one you know thing to note here. I watched the end of this game. Arkansas's crowd uh, was the stadium was not full, and it was really quiet in the fourth quarter when they were up by one, one possession trying to win a game against a ranked team. I, I was shocked, shocked to see an SEC team against that's ranked resurgent you know they haven't been good in a long time playing a ranked opponent at home that just went to the college football playoff and it's quiet and you can't even you know keep the stadium full for the game like, i was just very unimpressed by arkansas all the way around and gotta tell you makes me think they're an unserious program mm, i i like watching them play too much to say that yet but just because my i have a very, very soft spot in my heart but i agree i did notice the same thing when i watched this game I just love their style of play. Like KJ Jefferson is just a Mack truck, but he also throws three touchdowns. Their alder receivers are enormous. Like it's so much fun to watch them play. Um, I have to say, I'm I'm going to go to bat for Pitt. I or excuse me, Pitt. Whoa, Cincinnati. Um, I thought Cincinnati was going to get the doors blown off them in this game. Not necessarily because it's Arkansas, but because it is so hard for these non-power five teams to replace really good long-standing players like it's it's hard it's hard it's hard for any program but you know especially when you're not uh you know uh, a massive program replacing a guy like desmond ritter like the best quarterback in your school's history is hard and all they did was go get a transfer from eastern michigan ben bryant i think he actually transferred from cincinnati to eastern and back to cincinnati threw for 325 yards two touchdowns did throw a pick uh, i watched him throughout this game was genuinely like impressed, especially down the stretch. He got better and better. Cincinnati fought. They were there, you know, they went toe to toe with Arkansas. Um, and I think they might have a better you know, chance of sticking around as a program uh, than maybe I had I- initially thought. Cause they fought back in the second half too. They were down 14, nothing at half and actually, um, you know, 
score, put up 24 points in the second half. So credit, credit to them. Let's transition. You said KJ Jefferson, who is a really good um, way to work your way up to watching Anthony Richardson play. Uh, Who is just, he's like a creative player, man. Uh, Florida wins 21, or excuse me, 29 to 26, hosting number seven, Utah. I came away impressed with both teams, actually. Uh, but but the Anthony Richardson uh, is might be a must see TV moving forward. Yeah, I mean I think he I, I hope that I'm on record on this show talking about him because I'm pretty sure I I have going back to the last year he is an absolute freak. He is and and I don't say this lightly. He is a more athletic, smoother passing at least in his mechanics version of Cam Newton. Now, I don't know if he's going to be that in his career, but he is he is what happens when you keep your best athlete on the team at quarterback and you don't try to find some other way to use him and just find somebody to get him the ball. He is uh, – I think you are going to see him absolutely skyrocket, skyrocket up draft boards because you can't, you can't tell me that you would draft Will Levis over him. I just refuse to believe it. I quite honestly, I think you get into a real conversation with him and Bryce Young, as good as Bryce Young is. CJ Stroud, these guys are incredible, but none of them have what nobody has what Anthony Richardson has. And you saw him run all over what is going to be a very good Utah defense. He had 11 carries for 106 yards with three touchdowns, including some absolutely highlight reel runs that he finished off for touchdowns. He can put a, he can throw any ball. Uh, and actually I think the things you wanted to see from him were because he's so inexperienced were things like decision-making. He only had seven incomplete passes. Didn't try to beat the world with every throw kind of took what the defense gave him. And again, a good defense. Um, I I don't know what this means for Florida necessarily. I I don't, I'm not sure if they're going to be like this great team in the, in the sec. I do think they're probably closer to a 10 win team than maybe anybody initially thought because this roster is very talented. Um, but I think what the scary, the scary thing for me is if I'm a Pac-12 fan for anybody but but USC, I'm thinking my playoff dreams are, are pretty much shot after yeah. this weekend of Oregon and Utah both going down. It's tough to see anyone but USC, but um, there's a long way to go. But let's wrap with uh, the wildest game of the weekend. UNC traveled to Appalachian State. Bad idea. Wins 63 to 61. Appalachian State scored six fourth quarter touchdowns and lost. I didn't know it was possible. Um, and this was the game that reminded us why college football was great. Just absolute insanity. Did you watch this one? I was, this was a bad day to not have ESPNU because I didn't get to watch it. I just kept seeing the bottom line ticker and seeing updates on my phone. And I was just, I, I couldn't. I downloaded an app to listen to the radio call of the last two point conversion. That's that's how bad I wanted to watch. It was so crazy. You know, a lot of things happened that that you don't even like. It's hard to practice for. Appalachian State uh, goes down, scores, goes for two, um, fortunately doesn't convert. And then obviously onside kicks down by one. It bounces perfectly to a UNC uh, hands team who, decides to house it because that like why wouldn't you you just you know you're so hyped up but had he just gone down the game would have been over said he scores and now unc's up eight and in two plays 
Appalachian State with like 19 seconds goes down and scores it somehow uh, and doesn't get the two-point conversion with like no time left. It was just just wild. Um, the, the only other thing, the other game I want to bring uh, attention to is Auburn beat Mercer and did not cover, I should add, and pop champagne in their locker room. And I just like, I, I love celebrating uh, winning. That felt like a lot to me. How about you? It, uh, like, you're not going to the Sweet 16 by beating, like, a team that upset the two seed. Like, that's what I think of when I think of Auburn popping champagne after beating Mercer. Like, <laughs> I, I don't just get out of here. Like, just Brian Harson needs to just go. Like, this is just the end, the, the, the 50 million thing he's done that's been bad. So yeah. let's just, let's just show you the door. Let's cruise through the Big Ten results. Uh, most of these teams, Michigan State will play. So I'm just going to ask you, you know, do you feel better or worse about these future opponents? The first game was actually awesome. Penn State at Purdue. Uh, Penn State had no business winning this game statistically, but they jimmies and Joe their way to a win. And I think there's another little subplot in here in that we saw sixth-year quarterback Sean Clifford do a, a very – uh, Sean Clifford performance. He did everything terribly, did everything well, ultimately won them the game. But Penn State fans and the nation got a glimpse of Drew Aller. And um, I think the people want more. What do you think? I, I want less, personally, as a team that has to play against him. I would like to face him as few times as possible because he is going to be extremely good. Um, yeah, this was just Penn State having better players. This is gonna, you're, this is gonna happen a lot. This happens all the time. They had just three dudes that refused to be tackled by inferior athletes, and that's why they won the game. Sean Clifford is just—he's the only thing. Him and Jim uh, uh, James Franklin are the only thing holding them back from being championship contenders. I think. So, uh, do you feel better or worse about Penn State after this game? As long as Sean Clifford's there, I feel the exact exact same or better. Okay. New Mexico State headed to Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota wins. I think it was 38 to nothing. Minnesota had a near-perfect game. Um, they're my pick and have been my pick to win the Big Ten West. They don't do anything that really jumps off the page. But I think if you can turn in a B performance for the next 14 weeks, you can win the Big Ten West. I think a B is good enough. That's where my takeaway was. Uh Minnesota does nothing for me. I'm sorry. I just it, it, they're they're fine. They are you want to talk about a rock solid B minus of a program? They're, those are your golden gophers. I, again, it's the same deal. We talked about it before. Six year quarterback Tanner Morgan that puts exactly zero fear into my heart. So I would uh, I don't feel any different after a win against New Mexico State. Not yet. We talked about mid offs. Illinois headed to Indiana. Indiana won twenty three to twenty. Uh, Illinois got robbed uh, of a touchdown that was a clear catch that was waved off. But Illinois had so many miscues against a not good Indiana team who saved their best offense for the very end of the game in a game-winning drive uh, to win. Both teams, to me, didn't do much. Um, Congrats to Indiana. I think this was a huge win for this team as if they had lost, it's hard to find a lot more wins on the schedule to feel good about wins on the schedule. Illinois, um, this is just another one that they left on the table. 
I feel bad for Illinois. We need, like I said, we got to get Indiana out of here. You had your chance. Like, stop. Let's let somebody else be like a fun, feel good story. We're done with you, Indiana. I, you said this is a mid off. This is just a bad off. This is just two bad teams <laughs> playing against each other. Um, yeah. So, I, whatever. I feel I feel worse for Illinois than happy for Indiana. I've I've had enough of Indiana football. That's fair. Let's go to Saturday morning. Uh, started with Michigan throttling Colorado State 51-7. But the only real takeaway here, because Colorado State is so bad, is that it appears J.J. McCarthy is now QB1. Well, this is the best. I just – I love that what comes out of a 44-point home shellacking of a bad team, but, like, like, a great first week is you immediately have a quarterback controversy. It is – the best thing in the world. You've got Cade McNamara, who is not as good as J.J. McCarthy's ceiling out here, subtweeting, maybe not even subtweeting, just like openly being like, yeah, I think I'm better it, to the press. And then J.J. McCarthy putting stuff on Instagram about letting go of your ego. Like, it's just, it couldn't be more perfect if if i wrote it uh so i love that that's what came out of this game it makes me very happy also let's go i hope michigan wins by a thousand next week we get that ego nice and high and inflated um and then you know we'll just come crashing back down to reality it's gonna be dope oh the movie never gets old this game got old for me man and i love stuff but south dakota state went to iowa iowa won seven to three without a touchdown the defense outscored the offense four to three with two safeties. I don't know what to say, man. I think the only thing I'll put on record is that Georgia had more yards in their first four drives against Oregon than South Dakota State and Iowa had combined for the game. Uh, it's like impressive. Like to score seven points with two safeties and a field goal is like some like wizardry like i didn't think that's 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 like iowa on iowa crack like i don't even know what that is like in it is i really do think it's it's the most iowa performance possible um brian ferentz should not have a job it's just and he's not only does he have a job i'm pretty sure he's the coach in waiting it is a it is the most flagrant nepotism case of all time um I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Iowa fans, I feel awful for you because this feels like it's going to be a more egregious version of those 2012-ish Michigan State teams where it was those all-time defenses and terrible offenses. I, I At least we put more than two safeties on the board uh, or whatever and a field goal on the board uh, a couple of those games. I don't feel bad for them at all. Good. Neither do I. I hope they fail. I think it's funny to watch. If I had to go through it once, I hope they have to go through it a hundred times. I don't care. Amen. Maryland uh, took down Buffalo uh, pretty big, and but I think the thing that blew me away about this game was that uh, it wasn't the passing game. The thirty-one to ten win certainly was was fine with two hundred and ninety-seven yards passing, but I was surprised with a five point seven yards uh, average on the running game. Uh, I don't know how much you can take away. You know, kind of a similar situation to. MSU versus Western, um, you know, about the same score. For me, you know, this is just jumpstart Maryland football. We see it every year. 
Yeah, I watched a handful of this game too. And uh, you really learn to appreciate quarterback development when you watch the same guy three years in a row and they don't look any different. And that's what younger Tua is doing to me when I watch him. I'm like, oh, so you're the same guy. So no <laughs> no one's teaching you anything. So make sure you appreciate uh, some of it. So, you know, when, when you see a guy take a step forward. Do you feel better or worse about Maryland after this game? Is it probably better? I'd rather than try to run the ball, even though Tagovailoa is the isn't getting better because they still do have some really good receivers, but he's just not able to hit them that well. Rutgers went into Boston College and got a nice little win uh, for the Big Ten, a 22 to 21 victory. I was impressed. This was one they, sh- you know, I don't think they were favored to win. They're about seven and a half point dog. This makes me a little nervous about Rutgers. Maybe not overall, but they're a lot better. They thought, but that's just the Shiano effect. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm very happy for Rutgers. This shows that they're taking a step towards some level of competency because they didn't get competent performance from their quarterback, so they still found a way to win. Um, Makes me feel actually makes me feel more confident that Michigan State's going to beat their doors off um, because their quarterback play is really not in a good spot. But I'm I'm happy for them. Good for Rutgers. Nebraska wins 38 to 17 uh, over North Dakota. This one was tied near the end of the third. The only thing to note is that I, little birdies are saying that Scott Frost took the offensive play calling duties from Mark Whipple in the beginning of the second half, uh, manufactured a scoring drive. I don't know, man. Things are just really bad in Lincoln. I just don't know how long you can you can justify keeping him around, just given everything that you've seen. I mean, you're taking your offensive play calling away from your offensive coordinator in the fourth half of his tenure. Yep. I don't know who that says more about, the guy who hired him or the guy who's crazy enough to just flex on him that hard. So, I, yeah, Nebraska, this is this is dead man walking territory unless he can rip off just a crazy end to this season. Wisconsin with a 38-0 to zero win over FCS Illinois State. My only takeaway was that Mertz actually played well, which was a pleasant surprise for Badger fans. But the running game has work to do, which was a, probably a surprise for Badger fans. They had a nice day, but the big, uh, I think it was a 96-yard run from Braylon Allen, was not like a big hole that they opened up. It was, you know, he runs uh, to one side, it gets all crammed up and then reverses the field for a touchdown because he's the best athlete on the field. To me, I mean, that happens against an FCS team. That doesn't happen against a Big Ten team. I'm not saying there's a cause for alarm, but um, maybe not you know, hitting their stride the way you'd expect a Wisconsin rushing attack to go already. If your quarterback is the highlight of your offense at Wisconsin, something's going very well or very poorly. Um, and that, yeah, I... <laughs> Yeah, that would scare me. If you can't run the ball against Illinois State, I don't know what you're going to be doing against some of the good teams in the Big Ten. So, yeah, that's that'd be a little, you know, you never winning 38 nothing is never bad, but uh, it's a little concerning. Game of the week: Ohio State wins 21 to 10 at home against Notre Dame. Notre Dame came out with a punch, but Ohio State's really impressed on defense, especially in the second half. I believe they held the Irish to 72 total yards in that second half. A ho-hum win that had Ohio State fans upset. 
which is just shows where they are as a program, winning a top five game at home to open. And man, were they mad because they looked up at the scoreboard and saw Alabama, you know, and, and Georgia dominating. That's where they want to be. Yeah, I don't think that they're I, – I think this is – well, two things. This is more a testament to Notre Dame's defense, in my estimation, than it is than anything to do with Ohio State. I think people underestimate how talented they are. Um, and I think that they've got a chance to make the playoff if they can run the table. And I don't think Buckner is – you know, their their new quarterback is bad. I actually think he brings an element that David had in a while and his ability to make plays with his legs. So um, – I think it's more of a testament to Notre Dame, especially their defense. But I saw everything I needed to see from Ohio State in that drive to start the fourth quarter. Uh, they went on a 14-play, 95-yard, seven-minute drive yeah. when they to I think it was yeah to start the fourth quarter when they were only up four. I mean that, and they shut the door with under five minutes to go and put them up two scores. That is big boy, big pressure, big moment well-coached football and that is against a really good team even when you haven't had your best day on offense like that to me tells me that this is not some reason for alarm for Ohio State fans this is just you played a good team it's early in the season wait for your wide receivers to get into a little bit of a groove they also lost Jackson Smith and Jigba about halfway through this game which again with all the new faces they have to have a wide receiver um, losing really your only key returner uh, is is not a small deal. So I hope he's okay. I haven't seen an update on his injury, but um, either way, they're able to manufacture a win. And uh, yeah, I don't think we should, you know, play the violin for Ohio State just yet. Let's jump to upcoming national games quickly. Let's go through the big ones that are coming up. Alabama at Texas, twenty and a half point favorite. Is Texas back? We will find out soon. No, next. South Carolina at number nine at, at Arkansas. This is a very mid SEC game, but um, they're fun, so tune in. Yeah, Shane Beamer. There, South Carolina had like four special teams touchdowns. Very Frank Beamer of him. Um, be interesting. That's a that's a fun one. Appalachian State coming off a heartbreaking loss travels to Texas A&M. Unfortunately, oh, for them. hey, might be an Ope game. Who knows? Mm. More like, hope we shouldn't have got off the plane. (laughs) (laughs) Tennessee at Pittsburgh. You know, I used to like Pitt, but um, no, I'm still going to root for them over Tennessee. It's hard to take the balls. Yeah, I mean, like, who cares? Like, these are just the two teams that everybody's always like, oh, maybe. And they're never any good. So Houston travels to Texas Tech in a future Big 12 matchup. Red Raiders are favored, even though Houston is ranked. Um, I don't know. It just feels like this could be a high-scoring one. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of Red Bull in this stadium between Texas Tech fans and Dana Holgerson. I mean, it's going to be, oof, be mullets and Red Bull galore. Oh, man. That's a good takeaway. Kentucky versus <laughs> Florida. Kentucky, you know, um, we'll see where the rate rankings come out. They should be right neck and neck. This is the can anyone compete with Georgia game for me. Yeah, I mean, this is the, I mentioned him earlier, but this is the Levis and Richardson Bowl. Uh, Draft Knicks will be watching this one very closely. Um, I think Anthony Richardson's must-see TV. If they come, if he comes out as another big one against Kentucky, rev that Heisman engine because it's it's getting started quick if he, if he can manufacture another win. 
Arizona State heads to Oklahoma State. I, I bring this one up because I feel like Arizona State used to be a, you know, a proud program. They've just fallen off. Could it be because they hired Herm Edwards and their two highlights of his tenure will be beating Michigan State twice? Oh, God. I'll never – like, no one, people will forget that. That will be lost to the annals of time, except in my brain it takes up an inordinate amount of space. That was the call sign that it was over. It hurt. Uh, Bad. USC, the remaining Pac-12 uh, playoff hopeful, heads to Stanford. Only a nine-point favorite. We'll find out if they're actually a playoff contender or potential. Yeah, I'm USC, uh, pretty impressive first week. Winning 66 to 14 over Rice. Again, it's Rice, but uh, 66 points is 66 points. Yep. Um, pr- pretty good. So, yeah, this is this is kind of your last shot. Um, Stanford did not look good in their first week either. So, uh, yeah. This is a game Clay Hilton USC would for sure lose, but we'll see if anything's different now. The nightcap, 9-15 central kick. Uh, top 10 Baylor travels to uh, BYU will be in the top 25. Rarely that you get a top 25 versus top 25 matchup on the late night game. So just enjoy it. Take it in. Yeah, that's a good one to fall asleep to. I'm, I'm excited about that. The Dave Aranda, my Dave Aranda agenda will continue to be pushed. Let's go through the Big Ten quickly. Everyone plays. Arkansas State goes to Ohio State, who is a 44-point favorite oh. to open. They'll cover. It's bad. This is such a bad slate. I'm just going to talk shit about every one of these. Yeah, that's fair. Western Illinois travels to Minnesota. Glad we Who cares, dude? Western Illinois, the state, the part of Illinois that is Western might as well be in Minnesota. This is backyard rivals. I like how you think Illinois is connected to Minnesota. It is in my brain. Duke travels to Northwestern and the nerd off and unfortunately one of the better games in the Big Ted slate. Mm, gross. Gross. The nerds. The nerds. The pens versus the pencils. No thanks. Northwest- this will be interesting for Northwestern though. I mean, let's see how if they're actually, maybe this is a frisky Northwestern year, you know, beat Nebraska, maybe you can beat Duke. Who knows? Yeah, but like 2-0 against Nebraska and Duke does not. Yeah. It does nothing for me. Oh, gosh, that's ugly. Ohio travels to Penn State. Okay, sure. Moving on. What do you want me to do here? This is what Maryland at Charlotte. Like, what are we doing, Maryland? Like, why are we traveling there? This one, you'd have to get stadium TV or watch stadium to watch this game. Uh if you're out there and you're considering doing that, I want you to put down whatever it is that you're doing and just go stare at yourself in the mirror and just decide if this is how you really want to be be moving forward in your life. Or if maybe there's a different hobby you could pick up. <laughs> Washington, the Maryland Maryland fans shouldn't tune into this. Like this is no, but if you are, I, you know, I have a lot of questions for you. But specifically, I want to. I just want to know why. Like, just go, go, go up, go for a jog at two thirty next weekend. We'll tell you what happened. Don't worry. Washington <laughs> State traveling to Wisconsin. Uh, hey, Washington State has a transfer quarterback from Incarnate Word who lit it up last year. He's like a, a Bailey Zap kind of guy. I, I yeah. think Wisconsin gets tested just to make it fun. 
something fun on the slate. It's Cameron Ward. And uh, I man, would I love to see them go in and win that game because he is, could be that really fun, um, like out of nowhere Washington State, like rando program with one dope guy storyline. So, yeah, that could be fun. And Washington State, uh, listen, seeing them outside of that 9 p.m. time slot, sort of strange. So this will be interesting, seeing them in the light of day. They'll be playing at 11.30 a.m. their time, so that could be a problem. Oof. Iowa State, Iowa, El Asico. Boy, oh boy, will this be El Asico. Iowa, a three-and-a-half-point favorite, although they scored seven points last week. Somehow the over-under is 41-and-a-half. I'm, I'm begging you to go and bet the under on that. Like, I— Can't- can you take the under like by a certain margin? Like, because if I could take the under by 21 and a half, I might do it. You can go in some sites and find, you can dig as deep as you want on that under. They might, I, I just, it's hard for me to see this game playing out with like a 21 to 18 final or, or whatever they think it's going to be. I think it would be like, sorry, I'm doing terrible math in my head really quickly, but 22 to 19 or whatever. Do you really think they're going to score that many points? Why I'm taking they- the, the under on two and a half. One safety and that's it. It's just, this is going to be the one that you can't look away from. I'm excited for it. Uh, Virginia, Illinois. Okay, that could be something. These are certainly technically two power five teams. That's about all I got. That's uh, that's a, a, a really fun like Thanksgiving college basketball tournament championship game this one needed to be on a thursday night like you know for me to consider it's just it's two teams that hold the same station in their conference that have the same colors yeah that's whose fans care the same amount let's just sim to end speaking of sim to end indiana state at purdue uh wagner at rutgers Georgia Southern at Nebraska, Hawaii at Michigan, who is a 51-point favorite, and Idaho at Indiana. This is pretty pathetic, guys. That is bad. That is that is some all-time tanking by these programs scheduling these games. I hope all of you visiting teams got a real nice check, in particular Hawaii. Uh, I mean, 51-point dogs? I've never seen anything like that. We have, but it's just usually reserved for the Bama, Georgia, Clem, or excuse me, Bama, Georgia, and Ohio State to the world. Yeah, uh, the, but Michigan. Uh, the one nice thing I'll say about them, they beat up on cupcakes better than anybody. So I, I don't think fifty-one is really all that. I guess all that wild. Oh, oh man, I am so excited for the JJ McCarthy high train after this one. This is going to be a good weekend. Okay, here we go. Moving on. Let's talk about us again. Let's go to Akron, uh, a game that is technically happening as well. Speaking of probably um, un- underperforming or under exciting games, Akron at Michigan State. The good news uh, it is at 3 p.m., 4 p.m. Eastern, an afternoon game that's respect uh, for Michigan State. I think, in my opinion, the opening line is 34 and a half. I, I don't. The, the computers say this is about a 99% chance at winning. Um, Akron's probably the worst program in the MAC. They are 2-10 and 10 
last year at the end of the Tom Arth era. They have one winning season since 2006. Uh, their new coach is Joe Moorhead, who you might remember as offensive coordinator from Penn State, and uh, then later, I believe, at Mississippi State. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's exactly accurate. Okay. Uh, then last week, Akron won 30-23 to in overtime against St. Francis, Pennsylvania, an FCS team. I'm going to admit to you, Austin, I got a little goofed up in the entire fourth quarter in overtime with this game on my phone. And, um, man, it, they, they were about the exact level of each other. And I think that's all you need to know. I think when, you, when your school has to have the parentheses with the state initial mm-hmm. after the name of the team – it probably says a lot about your your just the general awareness of your team. The fact that people are like St. Francis, oh, that matters enough that I don't need to know where they're from. No, no, no. This is St. Francis, Pennsylvania. Oh, so I really don't know anything about this place. I don't have any idea where this might exist. Yeah, um, yeah and then Akron beat them by seven in overtime. I have to also say Tom Arth. There's no way that guy was ever going to be a good head coach with a name like that. Sure and this is coming from someone with the last name Smith. Tom Arth sounds like a, a creative coach. I'm sorry. He, Tom, Tom Arth sells you like a, a like a, an orthopedic brace for your foot on television. Like he's I'm Tom Arth here with you know multiflex foot bands or something just stupid he's slinging something dumb on television that's not a that's not a football coach i wonder if he's doing if he's working in football anymore if he works at like a like a auto zone or something now i hope he found a new passion yes agreed um akron got out gains by 66 yards to an fcs opponent um outside of arriving to the stadium what do you need to see from michigan state in this game uh, first, I think first and foremost, I want everybody to stay healthy. We lost two good players last week. You hate to see that keep going. Um, what I need to see, uh, I need to see Peyton Thorne fix those throws that he missed last week. And no more overthrows. No more thinking of Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. Go back there and execute. Hopefully it's only for a half. And then Noah can, Kim can come in and throw bombs the entire second half. Um, I need to see defensively more of the same, to be quite honest with you. I, I just I need more that's that same pass rush, that same defensive pressure. Specifically, though, I mean we talked about the guys who are hurt. I, I want to see who steps up, who who comes in and plays that spot that Snow is going to play. Does Jaden Mangum get you know? how much of the game does he see? This could be a great opportunity to play him just about every snap if he's the guy. Um, so who who steps up and fills those roles? And then, you know, you're always in a game like this, keeping an eye on, you know, who are some of the young guys that maybe aren't going to be big players this year, but that are going to try to put their best foot forward, you know, to make an impact on uh, future teams. I think Jeremy Bernard, I think Tyrell Henry, I think, some of this young offensive line talent, Gino Vandemark, guys like that, you know, are are you going to come in and act like this is your first opportunity or that you're playing Akron? So 
I don't know. I would like to see them go in, take care of business, and just play smart, sound Michigan State football. Because if they do that, they should win this game comfortably uh, and you know get ready for a trip out to uh, Pacific Northwest. That's right. Um, we'll see who gets reps at certain positions, especially the ones where guys were dinged up. And like you said, clean up some errors. Let's see some other guys get on the field, especially at quarterback. One quick thing, Austin, you notice Noah Kim came in for a series and yeah. you assumed they'd hand it off to Braylon. Or excuse me, sorry. You just assumed they'd hand it off to Berger. And uh, they went for the end zone. And I, I was just like, okay. Okay, Jay Johnson. Like, let, let's get I, – I just loved that. about. Like, <laughs> yeah, you don't expect it. It was hysterical. Like, it was so funny that he came in and just threw up Love an it. absolute bomb. Yeah, I mean, why not? You know, hey, so let's let's Peter, see what happens. To Jaden Reed, he's down there somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, talk about – I mean, that's a viral moment. If, if your backup QB2 comes in and just tosses a, a touchdown. Oh, yeah. Right? So, like, and no harm, no foul doing something like that with Jaden Reed because the worst case is going to be an incomplete. So, loved that. But we'll see hopefully more Noah Kim in this game and – and maybe even a you know quarterback of the future potential in Kaden Hauser. We'll see. I was just gonna say, I think this is one of the only opportunities you'll get all year, hopefully, to to get a peek at him. So that would be that would be a lot of fun. So fingers crossed that it gets to that point, and uh, we could see see some fun stuff. But um, all right, John, I think that does it, huh? That does it. All right, guys. As always, thanks for sticking with us for John. This has been Austin. We'll catch you next week.